everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Health Sciences, a podcast dedicated to speaking to key opinion leaders in health professions, education, and practice. Today we have with us our guest, Dr. Carl Halliday-Abraham, who is an optometrist and lecturer at the University of the Cape Coast in Ghana, and someone with a passion for the field of low vision. So with that, I'd like to welcome our guest, Dr. Abraham, to our show today. Welcome, Dr. Abraham, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, for Professor Studden. Um, it's great to be on this podcast um, to share with you my interest and passion when it comes to low vision care. Yes, uh, looking forward to hearing a lot more about it. So maybe just to start, if you could tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, and your career to date, and how it is that you came to uh, to have this passion for the field of low vision. Right. Um, I started off in Ghana. That's where I was trained, um, in the University of Cape Coast. And from there, I moved on to Malawi post-graduation. Post-graduation, I moved on to Malawi for about four years, I trained other optometrists as well. Um, I, I spent my time at the Malawi College of Health Sciences, a great place and great people. And after that, I came back to Ghana. Uh, that was in 2018. I came back and then took up a lectureship position at the University of Cape Coast at the optometry department to continue training more optometrists. How I got into low vision? Um, after graduation, um, you know, as Optometrists, you are trained to restore sight. That, that's mm-hmm. the thing out there. And then we try and then ensure that everybody is seeing well. But there are some people we can't really help. We can't reverse the vision loss they, they've had. And as a new graduate, I was seeing people like that. And that was a bit frustrating. I had to refer them. And if I should, they had to travel about 400 kilometers, 500 kilometers to the nearest um, low vision care center and that was difficult for them so most people actually never went mm. so decided that well it's it's a new area it is it is something people have went in there were only two centers in Ghana at that time which were providing low vision care and these were very small centers so that was the point I started developing some interest in, in low vision care and I concentrated a lot of my master's education in ensuring I got certified to provide low vision care. And so I, I took it up from there. Now, maybe I, I would say a little bit about my background. Um, I graduated with eight other students. So my whole class, my whole OD class were, were just nine students. Wow. And so at that point, that was around 2011 when I graduated. Um, optometry was relatively new in Ghana. Now we have classes as big as 60 now and all that. So more people are interested, more people have gotten to know about IK and would want to study optometry. But then it was small. It was very few people had entered into the profession and therefore care was very minimal for even those with common refractive errors, not to talk of people with low vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so really underserved. And that hasn't changed a whole lot even now. Um, there are lots of areas we don't have access at all. And so that is 
where I developed the interest. And from that point, from all the way um, from Malawi back to Ghana, I've been teaching low vision and practicing low vision. At least um, in our parts of Ghana, the Western and the Central Zone, I'm practically the only low vision uh, expert. And so I am, I get referrals from all over. Wow, so, that's fantastic. So in, in a relatively short space of time then, I would say about just over 10 years, 11 years since you've graduated, you've managed to build up quite a service and, and sort of a level of expertise in addressing um, an area of clinical practice in optometry that is somewhat underserved. And I don't just think in Africa, but certainly in other parts of the world as well. Um, but maybe for the listeners who are not optometrists or not from the field of eye care, if you could explain a little bit, you know, what is low vision and what does it entail? What does it mean for affected persons? So um, low vision is sometimes a bit difficult to explain to a lot of people. But let's take it from here. We have people who can see very well mm-hmm. and who are blind. And within that space, there's a group of people or a group of eye states where they are not seeing so well. And no matter what you do, you can't use conventional means to reverse that visual uh, visual loss or that impairment. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, you can give glasses and they are fine. Those ones are okay. But with these ones, even if, even if you give them the best spectacle possible or the best contact lenses, and their vision will still not retain uh, right. or any better because of the nature of the condition that has affected their eyes. Sure. So in your experience, you know, you've had experience in Malawi and in your own country of Ghana, and I guess perspective of what's happening on the rest of the African continent. What would you say are the current challenges facing low vision in Africa? That's a very good question. Um, and I, I don't think I can even fully answer that, that, that question. Though. Um, but I've had a, lit, a little of experience around mm-hmm. Africa. And then I would let the, the listeners know what the problems really are. Mm-hmm. One major problem is access. And that is for almost all the places I've been to and, and the people I've been in contact with. There are always few people who are into low vision care. And therefore, patients are unable to have access to the care in the first place. They don't even know where to get such access. Um, so you would have one center in one part of the country and mostly the most affluent part of the country. And then the rest virtually have nothing to, to depend on when it comes to low vision care. So access is quite critical. And if you're able to improve access, you could do a whole lot. The other thing is supply chain. Um, the equipment, the aids, um, these aids are often not produced here in, in most parts of Africa. We don't produce any of the low vision aids. And therefore, it's difficult getting access to them. They're expensive. And unlike spectacles, where you know there are lots of people coming in for spectacles, and with low vision, there are very few people. Mm-hmm. And so you can't have like a whole room 
full of low vision aids, waiting for patients to come in and pick them. That is almost not practical uh, because each eye and what it would obviously demand. So um, the supply chain becomes difficult where to get the aids at an affordable price um, for the patient because most patients who also have this condition um, are often not that well to do. They don't have the resources to purchase expensive stuff. And the good stuff in innovation are always quite expensive as well. Uh, so that is a major, major drawback uh, when it comes to providing care. So you could have a, and the expertise. I could be here and I can't provide the care. Or even if I provide the care, the patient goes home and doesn't benefit from that care mm. because there are no aids um, to use. Um, some of my, what some of my colleagues are doing is they rise the, the, the aids down for the patients and then the patient tries and then gets them on their own, which is also very, very difficult. Right. Yeah, because even the hospitals where they practice don't purchase the aids. They wouldn't, they, they, they won't understand why they need to purchase that amount of aid that's expensive and just keep stored in the cupboard waiting for somebody to come. They don't. So the best way they could is just write down the prescription and give it to the patient. And they also don't know where to get those vision aids from. So that's the thing. Uh, the other thing is getting the trained expertise. Yes, um, low vision is part of almost every optometry training in, in Africa. Um, mm-hmm. All around, um, by Holden Vision Institute had taken a big role in ensuring that um, almost even almost all their models they have set up a lot more optometry schools in Africa so and they've included low vision in almost all their their models almost any other country I know which provide military training ensures there's a low vision component but the thing is it is not enough there isn't just enough time to provide that amount of um, training within most of the of the programs. Therefore, students exit and they really don't know a lot about low vision care and, and they don't have a lot of confidence. And I'll give myself as an example. At the time I was exiting, I had not seen a low vision patient before. Um, wow. Not somebody with a low vision, but I've not seen somebody being managed for low vision. Right. Um, and I would know all the mathematics and everything that goes with low vision care, but I've never seen a patient. And therefore, the confidence level would be quite low. And this is also common around Africa, a lot of places and where optometry is developing. And you realize that low vision care is at the minimum because the student that's come out, the optometry student or the optometrist that's come out, do not have the full confidence to handle a low vision patient. And, and of, of course, the aids are also not available. So even if they want to, um, what they need to, to provide that care is still not available. The other one is the training. Um, the, so the, the ideal thing was to have a separate sort of training or some sort of continuous training for, for low vision so that we would have a place where people can go in, have six months and one year training or a, resi- a good residency in low vision care and pass out and then get to the to the patient. But there's a thing, those are very scarce within Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have 
NGOs coming in to do short trainings. We have, um, yeah, so mostly NGOs coming in to do some short trainings here and there to try and then get people to practice. But then, say that is not really sustainable. If I gave uh, a one-day training to somebody and uh, having no practical experience in handling a low yeah. And it becomes very difficult for them to go back and actually deliver that. Mm -hmm. So they would have the, they might get some equipment and stuff, but they would probably never use it because the confidence is knowing. It's always having that confidence to get the patient in, to fully assess the patient and provide the needed care. That is the, the big deal. So there's really no major training. There's no actual certification in low vision in Africa. And most places don't really have any sort of certification for low vision per se. There's that for optometry, there's that for ophthalmic nurses, ophthalmology. But when it comes to low vision care, it's sort of added to a whole bunch of things. So right. they, need, they need that atten- attention. The other thing is awareness. Um, there's practitioners don't know, patients don't know. Um, so the practitioners <laughs> mostly are not aware when low vision care can be provided for a patient. So mm-hmm. a situation where patients come in when they have like no vision at all, and that is when they are being referred for low vision care. Now, the practitioner has obviously seen the patient through having some form of vision all the way to blindness, and it is when the patient becomes blind when they have lost so much time and so much uh, things they could have done with their, the vision they had, that is when they are referred for low vision care. At that point, it, it's almost a little bit too late, and then we have to depend on other ways of uh, rehabilitating the patient. Mm-hmm. So when a practitioner should send forth a patient to, to a low vision practitioner to be taken care of. Um, the other thing is... Um, Low vision isn't a diagnosis. That's the thing. Uh, practitioners are trained to deal with their diagnosis. So you go to a, a clinic and then, yes, you have an eye infection. This is the drug and it's straightforward. Right. When it comes to low vision, um, it is not a diagnosis. So nobody actually writes it on their form that this is low wow. vision. It's a visual impairment category. So nobody really writes it and therefore there's management doesn't occur to people that, well, this is a person living with low vision has impaired the stand visual and has impaired vision at this point. So we need to get into a place where they can provide him some extra care. And so that doesn't happen. And for the patient, and patients will listen to your doctors most of the time. Right. And it's, if they, they tell them to go, they would probably go. But the thing is, if they are not told, they would never know. And they will never know that there's some care for them um, somewhere that could help them use the vision they have what, what they, for what they need to do. So these are some of the, the few things um, that is hampering our progress um, in terms of delivering low vision care to, to uh, people across Sub-Saharan Africa mostly. Um, and there are there are probably more, but these are like yeah the main, the main ones. Yeah, wow. Main.
You've touched on such important points. Um, and I want to pick up on the training aspects. You know, you mentioned that there's a lack of trained expertise and, and even by your own experience, um, you know, you didn't have sufficient exposure to managing a low vision patient or clinical case before you graduated, which to me seems somewhat ironic uh, given that Africa has <clears throat> among the highest burden of low vision, you know, and blindness in the world. So how is it that, you know, our students, optometry students, cannot get exposure to managing a low vision case before they graduate? What what are some of the barriers there? Do they still exist? Because that was your personal experience say, 11 years ago. And do those barriers still exist? Uh, is it just a matter of time or are there other barriers to the training um, exposures? So um, those barriers still exist. Um, so for instance, the, the statistics show that only about 10% um, of our population who have low vision get access to low vision care across Sub-Saharan Africa, um, which means if um, that's one in 10 persons are able to actually get access to low vision care. So the expertise are few, mm-hmm. few, and therefore the possibility of a student getting exposure to such effort is even lesser. Sure. Um, yeah. So if, if you come to Ghana, there are, so currently we have about four. Most of them are in the south southern parts of the country. And if students are supposed to go to these places to get that sort of experience or low vision care, um, it, it becomes a bit limited. And you can't send this, unless you want to send this specifically for that. So the cost implications becomes an issue. And then, you know, the, the logistics, getting the student to just four places, and who are, which are very small centers, and can take one or two students at a time, and you have a student population of about 60. Yeah. And that creates a huge challenge. So this, this barrier is prevalent almost everywhere wow. because the centers don't exist. Um, so for instance, if we want to train people in ocular health management um, or managing eye diseases, it's easy to send them off to even a private facility, you get loads and loads of eye-conditioned communities right. learning on the go. Yeah. Um, but for a low-vision clinic, you get one or two people coming in probably a week. Uh, and a course will last for a max- maximum four months. So then it becomes really, really difficult. And so, sure. That single facility, mm. and then to that and to get even get access to low vision patients becomes very narrow. So that's the thing. Um, we are trying to make sure that doesn't happen to our students. And we are building, we built quite a service over here. So now students are able to get patients while they are still doing their clinical rotations on campus. And um, mm-hmm. so when patients come in, they're able to have access to them, they're able to examine them, do the necessary assessment and provide the required aid. And that wasn't possible 
five years ago, actually. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, I, you know, I must commend you on the efforts, I guess, you and your team have made towards, you know, building this exposure in, you know, optometry students now. Um, but you must still face a challenge in terms of just motivating and inspiring you know, students who are the upcoming practitioners to also be advocates for access to low vision care or to want to pursue a a career specializing in low vision care. How do you do that? How do you build that um, passion or inspiration um, for a field that has so many challenges in the next generation of practitioners so that it doesn't become, again, a neglected area of practice. Thank you, Prof. Um, Just to give a background to our listeners, um, low vision is full of calculations. If you you are uh, a student, that's the impression you get. You would have to do a whole lot of optics calculation. Mm -hmm. Put in formulas here, put in values here, try to get a result and all that. Now, most people wouldn't want to do those calculations every day a patient comes into clinic. Right. It doesn't sound so great to students. Um, <laughs> the wrinkle we, we use in teaching um, sort of becomes a incentive to the student because um, when we are doing so many maths and some people are not so good in maths, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's all a combination of maths and physics and some people might not be so good in that. And so, yeah, they just try and get the calculations right and then, yes, we are done with this and then gone. Um, so I've been trying something over the years. So each year when I get my students, um, I try to divide them into smaller groups of four or fives. And then I get them a, a small topic or a small project to do. And they would have to complete that project before the, the end of the semester. And some of them have been very, very helpful to both the students and myself um, as a practitioner. So I'll give an example. One of them is getting um, a good VHAT for persons with low vision. Um, most of our VHRs are quite small and handy with, you know, very few sized letters. Right. And then really big ones um, for persons with, with low vision. And it's not even available to purchase around. So sure. I get my student to design this. So they form a group and design this um, low vision chart, for, which goes up to uh, 80. And that's really big fonts, a font of N80. Wow. Those are huge forms. And they get really excited when that tool is used to assess a patient. And I tell them, oh, come look, I'm using your tool to assess this patient. He's able to read and he's able to improve their vision in that point. And that makes them a little happy. There's one who is a CCTV um, for, for patients. Um, or for people with low vision, um, which is using a very cost-effective cost way of, of doing it. Currently, it costs about $3,000, $4,000 to get a CCTV, a good one. Mm-hmm. And so 
is trying to create one um, to do that. The second thing I'm trying to do is to move a bit away from the calculations a bit. And yes. Uh, yes, so I try to, and that is one thing I, I got from my training. Um, I trained in, in Cardiff University. I'm not advertising for them, but they have a very good uh, blue vision uh, program. Program. So, yes, and they, 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 they have a way of switching up you off the calculation and making sure you focus on the patient and what you can do for the patient. And so um, I, I try to switch them off. So we do the calculation at the beginning um, just for them to have an idea. And then from that point, I switch them off to actual patient management mm-hmm. and on the job. So you don't think about the calculations. You don't think about figures that much. You think about the patient and what the patients need. I know the eight are not available. Honestly, even though we are trying to get um, stocks here and there, um, the university it, it has a lot of leeway, so we're able to get some aid, and then we're able to give them to people who need those aid, but they are still not enough. So I'm trying to move them from the optical aid uh, right. into providing uh, the same care, so using phones and things like that. Uh-huh. People can use their phones to do a whole lot if they know what it can do. And they can use it to do a whole lot. So I try to get them to focus on some of these other other things, and then it helps. And patients come in, and all they want to do is to be able to make a call and receive a call on their phone, and that can be easily done. And for that patient, the patient is satisfied and goes home. Right. Uh, we had a patient in last week, and we couldn't get the aid for that patient, and the patient couldn't afford it anyway. So what did, what did we do? Um, I just, we just took a paper and then ruled big lines. Uh-huh. On the paper. Yes, and then got the patient a felt pain. So this patient could then write, he's a, he's a student um, who had developed an um, RPK with nitrous pigmentosa. So we got this patient, this big um, ruled sheet, which we, I just did it on the machine. So the student was there, we did it, gave it to the student, the patient. And the patient could now actually write um, on the on the sheet without wow. any patient aid or anything in front of the eyes. And that made a huge difference for the kid. So all we did was get a couple of those sheets, give it to the, the parents and tell them to just photocopy so that when she's going to school, she buys them up as a book. And then wow. she those things because the teachers could not see her handwriting because it was all messed up and she couldn't write straight. So mm-hmm. this makes a huge change and uh, without the low vision aid, without the magnifiers and all those things. So right. these sort of the things um, I've been trying to do to get them a bit more interested in providing this form of care. That's fantastic. So you really effectively are also training the students to kind of think outside of the box, um, you know, think outside of conventional therapies and and just to consider some of the simple ways they can actually assist low vision patients in um, achieving their goals or being a little bit more independent. And I think that's so necessary, especially in Africa where, you know, as you say, access to these devices are limited, cost is a barrier, you know, the the field of low vision is, is still somewhat underdeveloped. So 
being creative around solutions, I think, is a fantastic strategy. Um, and well done to you for, for, for shifting that in the minds of the students. Um, one of the questions I did want to ask, you mentioned, you know, the, the major gaps uh, that are facing um, low vision in Africa, which included an access gap, you know, patients not being able to access the service, supply chain, cost, um, access to the AIDS, as some of the major barriers, including the training that we've just discussed. Now, my my question to you is, you know, in the context of, of all of these, how do we advocate for increased government support for low vision, whether that be in the form of, um, you know, producing the country's own aids or um, developing more centers of excellence in low vision? What do you think is the major um, cool factor for governments when it comes to advocating for improved services in low vision? So for governments, um, and in terms of advocacy, which is a huge thing, uh, one is creating the awareness, ensuring that people are aware that help is available. Um, and the moment people become aware, they will try to find that help. And if they are unaware, they might have it, they might live with it, thinking there's nothing to be done. And that, that is one major issue um, to ensure that people, more people are aware of the condition, both practitioners and patients as well. And the awareness is great. The availability of the service is also paramount. We, we need to incorporate it into most of our, our, our even if not in the eye clinics, our rehabilitation services um, should include low vision care as well. Uh, for Ghana, for instance, we have a disability act, which is meant to ensure that in, in every region, there is a rehabilitation center. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't, that has not been implemented. So the laws are there, but the implementation is a problem. Mm-hmm. So focusing, we are trying to ensure that such things are done. So even if not within the general healthcare system, and rehabilitation centers should be made available, and the low vision practitioners should be there to provide this care. The closer they are to the, the, the patient, the better and for all of us. Because let, let's be, be aware that these are people whose vision is a bit compromised, and therefore even traveling long distances can be a huge headache looking at the kind of transportation systems we have around. So right. the they are to the people um, or to the, to the facilities, the better for, for most of them. So these are the two main things. And if we're able to do this, it's going to be a huge impact. If we can go produce the aid locally, that'll also be a big thing. Uh, yes. And, and we've been thinking in that direction for some time now. Um, currently, we have um, uh, 3D printers. Wow. Um, so if probably we could use the 3D printers to print the casing, lenses can always be sort of ordered in. And yes. we have a supply chain for lenses. 
in Africa, there's a very good supply chain for lenses. So you can always get those lenses if you order, but getting the complete aid might be a problem. So if you can just print on the on demand, and that would have been a huge game changer for most people. And as long as the cost is also low for them. Yes. So currently a student of mine is also trying to work on that, trying to get or a group of students trying to see if they can do that, print it out, um, do a 3D printing of the casing, and then order a lens in. And that could, could help a whole lot. So yes, um, these are probably the things that could be done to, to ensure people get access. The main thing is for people to have access. If they get the access, um, things should be a bit easier. We might not have the aid available as much as we want. We might not have enough professionals to 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 deliver the care. But as long as available, um, the others will just step in and then build up with time. Sure. Um, you know, on that note, I think it leads perfectly to my last question is, how do you, in, how would you encourage optometrists, particularly those in private practice who may see a low vision patient, um, how would you encourage them to um, take up the challenge? You know, uh, as an optometrist myself, and, you know, you're more immersed in it now, Providing care to a low vision patient is time consuming. So it is an economic investment also on the part of the practitioner because it takes a lot of chair time, right? Um, and a lot of your consultation time. So what would you say to practitioners who may think that of seeing a low vision patient is not worth my time or, you know, it's not financially viable for my practice? How would you convince them otherwise? Or is it possible? Or should we be convincing them otherwise? <laughs> yeah, um, it's a bit difficult. Um, optometry setups are mostly private setups. And money is a big issue. Time is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, when a patient comes in and needs low vision care, and it's not going to, you know, within that attending to one low vision patient or patient with low vision, and uh, would be equal to attendance of about 10 persons without low vision. Right. We'd go for that. And so uh, it's to be difficult convincing most people. But what I know is it's also a very good uh, practice builder when it comes to low vision care because persons whom you provide low vision care for never go away. They always come back to you mm-hmm. and sort of build your practice. And they yeah. are all happy to uh, recommend you to someone. Yes. Um, it takes, you know, you, you care, you really care for the patient when they provide low vision care and mm-hmm. they, they appreciate that form of care. And therefore, they are always going to tell others about you, about the kind of care you gave to them, about the time you, you're able to spend on them, and you're able to help them and all that. And they yeah. really, help build practices. So if you have five, six persons with no vision in your practice, um, that's a good thing. It's, it has a multiplication effect. Uh, the, the other benefit might not be money, but it, it is the realization that um, you've been able to help somebody do something they couldn't do for a long, long while. Right. Uh, 
So I had I had a a, a young another um, child, um, a school-going child, and he was about to write exams, and then he came and he's not been able to read for a long time. And mostly during exams, they have to take to him and then he responds and then he writes. And I came and then I get an assessment for him. And when he saw that he could actually read again, he was so, so happy. It was that joy, that excitement. Mm. It it never never goes away from you. It's always in your mind and all that. Um, So... And I can, I can also give an example. And this happened just um, last week. We had a patient who came in having no vision. And the patient, were, the father brought this patient. Uh, he was both deaf and then or hearing impaired. And then he was also, um, we say, dumb. And could not express himself in any way. And we were able to do the assessment, provide an aid. And the father was so grateful. The father called me just this morning before coming to work. And then he was asking if um, another patient could come in. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't attend to this patient because this was um, had to deal with uh, mental health issues. So I had okay. to go to another place. Um, so I guess he felt because I've been able to attend to this one. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's, Goodwill, they're able to tell others right. your practice, and it's really it, it really helps build your practice anytime. So I get more people coming in here, and because of who don't have low vision anyway, uh, but they come in here because somebody with low vision recommended that this is a good place to come. That's you know? fantastic. Hmm. That's fantastic. I think that's such a great note to end our conversation on. Um, and I think, you know, in the biggest scheme of things, we are healthcare providers. Uh, and as you emphasized, you know, just now that we are to provide care to people with uh, all forms of visual impairment. And that should really be our ethical and moral compass um, as optometrists. So thank you so much for that insightful chat about low vision. As we uh, draw to a close, are there any final sort of thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? on, you know, how we can take this challenge of uh, growing access to care for persons with low vision uh, moving forward? Um, so um, I'd like to say these few words. Um, the problems persons with low vision face are mostly because um, we don't really think about them a lot. That's general society. Um, most of the things are made for us. Uh, our notebooks, our as a school notebooks are for people who are sighted, everything else is for sighted people. Mm-hmm. So they have pay a lot of attention to persons who probably might not see what we've put out there a, a whole lot. And therefore, if people will take a little bit more time and look at these things, then um, there's variation in terms of vision. People can't see what you've written, but others might not be able to see. How do we ensure that if somebody can't see it, and there will be a way the person can still have access to that document or that, that um, footage or that video or right. stuff like picture. And if we're able to be conscious of that and improve that kind of accessibility to everything that we, we put out there, then they wouldn't feel so much left out. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
payment, their feelings wouldn't be that big. Um, they'll be able to you know, find their way around without a whole lot of uh, struggle. So with, with a resource you know, restricted setting like ours, I, I believe that is the way to go. Make things more accessible. Uh, our writings and everything we do, that would make sure that they also don't feel left out. And maybe they might not need our care anyway because they are they are, they already fit into the society. And the other thing is that um, we could all become visually impaired. We are nobody is new. There's no vaccine for um, rights. Yes, um, we are all in a way at risk, and therefore yeah. should be able to make an environment that will be receptive to every one of us. In case we get there, then we also don't struggle. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Abraham. You've been so inspiring um, on this talk today. So I'd like to thank you for your time and your contributions um, to our podcast, but also to your work in advancing low vision care on the African continent. And I'd like to wish you well as you continue to forge forward in that area. To our listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. We trust that you will join us again on another episode of Conversations in Health Sciences. Goodbye.